Chapter 15 The world was sick. A fever had spread over the earth. The sky was bleeding. The sun had fallen out of place. It was cold for no reason. Everything looked far away. What could be seen had turned to dust. Piles of dust stood like stones along the road. Every tree hung limp and dead. The clouds were the color of bruises. Beyond them was the shade of lifeless skin. And through that, nothing else. No moon, no stars. It was day. Scott felt very alone. Never in his long, boring life had he felt so empty. And he was an empty person by nature. Emotionless, friendless, aimless. But he'd wandered farther into that darkness. Now he was surrounded in himself. It was disturbing to think these colors were in his mind. It was annoying to think at all. He was lost. He'd driven the road back to the weird man's house, but the path had changed. Now he was somewhere new, rolling along dry-eyed and upset. His engine groaned, his tires drug like chains. His windshield was filthy. He hadn't slept or eaten since leaving his apartment the day before. His mind was slipping. His hands were shaking. He was thirsty. As the woods parted and the sun looked down on him strangely, he decided he'd had enough and just wanted to go home. But he couldn't find a single sign to guide the way. His car wove over the center line like a slack of rope. His eyes fell closed, then shot open. His foot tipped off the gas. He'd been driving this way for over an hour. In a matter of seconds, he'd steer straight into a ditch. His fingers trembled at the wheel, knowing he'd finally reached the end. Death smelled boring and tasteless. The gun in his hand was cold. He pulled onto the shoulder and stopped the car. He rolled down his window, taking a breath and letting the damp wind touch his face. He'd been dreaming. It was bright as hell out, blinding him as he woke up. He looked around inside the car, wondering how long he'd been driving while asleep. To his left was a wide bean field. To his right was a marsh spotted with mounds of dirt. The sky was yellow. He heard birds. His gun was clutched in his stiff right hand. He'd been rolling along in first gear but laying on the gas. Smoke billowed from beneath his hood. The car was dying. He could smell fire. He got out and stumbled to the front grill, throwing open the hood and swatting away a dark cloud of smoke. He coughed and gagged as the engine whined in pain. Heat touched his face. The motor laid burning beneath his hands, taken by fire like quicksand. Scott struggled beneath the hood, pulling at caps and valves, his eyes scrambling, his teeth flexed to one side. Without other means, he spit into the fire, trying to put it out. 
The car began to roar as fluids boiled and hissed. His eyes went wide. He staggered back and dove away, right as the car burst in an explosion of flames and glass. The force lifted him from the ground and threw him like a stone, arching him in the air and landing him in a ditch across the road. Black smoke rose in thick, muscled streams, and the sound of cooking replaced the birds and wind. Scott laid on his stomach in inch-deep water with grass poking at his face. A frog stared at him with disinterest and then moved along. His back felt broken and his arms detached. He couldn't blink. He sucked in the water and choked, spitting it up and rolling onto his side. Then he heard the sound of a siren and sat up, startled, smearing mud across his brow as he wiped his eyes. The sound moved closer, whirling and rotating and rolling down the hill to his right. It came just above his head and stopped, clicking off with a carried echo as a car door slammed closed and a young man's voice began to curse. Oh, fuck, the voice said. Scott heard the man open his trunk and then listened to him run across the road, blasting a fire extinguisher. Scott looked at his gun still in his hand and thought to stand and shoot, but then reasoned with himself and put the gun back in his jacket and climbed to his knees. The man up on the road was kicking at the windows of the charger and shouting. He emptied the last of the extinguisher beneath the hood and threw it down. The road swarmed with a haze of light. Then the man ran back to his own car. Scott stood up and got a better look at him. He was a young police officer in a cowboy hat. He was hunched over, digging in his squad car with his back to the ditch. Scott thought to lunge at his backside and tackle him down, but instead he spoke. Here, Scott said, lifting his arms in the air. I'm behind you. The policeman turned abruptly with a radio unit held to his face. He pushed his hat back and squinted at Scott. What the fuck happened, he shouted, motioning toward the smoking car. She overheated, Scott replied, keeping his hands up. She burst, blew me across the road. I think I'm hurt. The man looked at Scott with a frown. Then he turned and looked at the smoking remains of the car, and then back into Scott's eyes, studying him. Who the fuck are you? the man asked. I'm Scott. I gathered that from your license plate. Where the fuck are you going? I don't know. The policeman pointed to his badge with a thumb. I'm Deputy Fontaine of the Nottingham Sheriff's Department, he said. I'm going to need you to step out of that ditch very slowly. Fontaine drew his gun and pointed it at Scott with a steady hand. Scott looked into the barrel and kept his hands in the air. I'm lost, Scott said, shrugging his shoulders. Yeah, Fontaine mocked. No shit. I'm from north of here, Scott said. I was just driving around. Scott didn't know how to explain the events that brought him here 
and the strange things that were likely not far up the road. Fontaine dropped the barrel of his pistol and walked to the ditch, offering Scott a hand. He pulled him up the side of the ravine and onto the gravel shoulder. Scott brushed himself off and zipped his coat up to his collar, adjusting the bulge of his own weapon and masking it in the crook of his arm. You're carrying a weapon, Fontaine pointed out, grabbing Scott by the elbow and lifting his arm. He pressed the barrel of his gun into Scott's collarbone and tugged at his zipper, opening the jacket and feeling around in its pockets. He pulled out Scott's gun and pitched it onto the hood of his squad car. Then he went back in the coat and pulled out Scott's wallet, throwing it onto the hood as well. You want to tell me why you're just driving around with a handgun, Fontaine asked, patting down Scott's chest and back. Scott blinked, unable to think of a response. What else am I going to find, Fontaine asked, feeling along his thighs and ass with hard smacks. He pulled out the weird keys from Scott's pants pocket and tossed them beside the rest of the things. What else? Scott motioned with his chin to a larger interior pocket of his jacket the deputy had failed to notice. There's a book, Scott said plainly. There's a wrapped up book in this pocket. Fontaine pulled out the plastic wrapped book and looked over the bag's silly logo and title, holding Scott at gunpoint as he turned it upright in his hands. Fast stop? Fontaine read aloud. Never heard of it. Where'd you get this? Scott sighed, remaining silent once again. Fontaine threw the book onto the hood and pulled out his cups. Turn around and put your hands behind your head. Scott did as he was told. Fontaine holstered his gun and grabbed him by the wrists, shoving him over the hood. You don't have to cuff me, Scott said. I'll go willingly. I don't think it's best to cuff me in case something bad happens. I don't remember asking you for an opinion, Fontaine grunted, locking Scott's hands together and kicking apart his ankles. Spread your legs. I'm not a criminal, Scott muttered. I'm a veteran. I just want to go home. That's not my department, dude, Fontaine said, holding him down. I'm not going to kick your ass or anything. I'm just going to take you into town and let some other people ask you some questions. What do you want to know, Scott asked. I don't need to know shit, Fontaine said. I found you next to a burning vehicle with a weapon and no explanation as to why. Anything you say now is as good as dog shit to me. You're going back to town to talk to someone who cares. Fontaine opened the back door and motioned for Scott to crawl in. Get in the car, he said coldly. Don't waste my time. I'm in a hurry. So was I, Scott said, his tired eyes drifting over the fields around them. He gave in limply and slid into the back seat, closing his eyes and immediately falling asleep as Fontaine locked him in. Fontaine got in behind the wheel and looked into the rear-view mirror at Scott's slouched head and shoulders. He was already drooling. He set Scott's things in the passenger seat beside him and picked up his radio, turning down the volume and talking quietly into the mouthpiece. Sheriff, he asked. The radio buzzed and squealed. Sheriff, are you there? Can you hear me? Hello? A loud hum came across the line 
Then Dubois spoke up in an irritated groan. Fontaine, he asked, where in the hell are you? I got a man in a burned up car over by Fendler's Marsh, he replied. I put out the fire. I got the guy in back. He hasn't said much. He's an older fella. He's a bit odd, too. Might have hit his head. He had a gun on him. Springfield's voice came over the radio, interrupting him. What is he driving? he asked. Fontaine chuckled. He ain't driving shit, Dusty. It's blown to hell. I already got him cuffed. The car, dumbass, Springfield shouted. What kind of car was it? Maybe a Dodge, Fontaine said stiffly, irritated by Springfield's tone. It was a red sports car. I don't know. There's not much left of it. There was a long silence on the other end. I spoke to your wife, Fontaine said, awkwardly changing the subject. Don't, Wally, Springfield muttered. Just tell me where you are. I'm at Fendler's Marsh, up from the motel. I can catch up with you two if you don't want me to take him back to town right away. Fontaine said this, looking into the rearview mirror at Scott, feeling slight remorse at what Springfield might do to the old man if he'd been involved with Wendy. Bring him along, Springfield said. There was a struggle of sound as Fontaine listened to Springfield and the sheriff wrestle each other for the radio. Let go, goddammit, Dubois grunted, putting the receiver close to his mouth and shouting into it. Fontaine, we're over by Dunner's old shop, about a mile down a path to the left marked with a few piles of dead branches. We spotted the hearse and trailed it here, but it vanished again. Now we're someplace I ain't never heard of, likely some kind of clubhouse. Lord only knows how I've managed to miss it all this time. Fontaine frowned. He hated the way Dubois always spoke as if his jumbled words were plain and simple. What he'd said made no sense at all. There was not a single undocumented place in Nottingham County. Dunner's old shop was an abandoned garage where hunters and fishermen sometimes parked their trucks before entering the woods on foot. Ten to fifteen men came and went from that area each week. No one ever mentioned a new building. It'd be easy to notice, too. The woods there were thin and crawled up a steep hill entirely visible to the road. It was a terrible spot to hide anything. Give me that thing, Springfield's voice argued through the radio, wrestling the mouthpiece out of Dubois' fat hand. He spoke low and quiet, almost whispering. Fontaine, don't listen to the sheriff. He's a bit turned around. We passed Dunner's old shop a while ago. He just wasn't paying attention. Fontaine didn't like the tone Springfield was using. It sounded fake. We're parked outside an unregistered business. The dumbasses even have a sign up and everything. Who would put a sign on an unlicensed business, Fontaine asked. Scott began to snore in the back seat. Exactly, Springfield said. This ain't no shop I've ever heard of, but I've never been on this road before. Never noticed it till now. We spotted the hearse a few miles up and saw it turn off by these piles of sticks. 
There ain't really even a road to it, just some dead grass and dirt leading in. How far in? Fontaine asked. That's the thing, Springfield said, spitting out his window. I'd say we're over a mile deep. There ain't no daylight anymore. The canopy cut out the sun. There's flies here the size of dimes, buzzing all over the place. Where's the hearse? Fontaine asked. Inside, Springfield replied in a cold sigh. Fontaine could hear him loading a weapon as he spoke. It pulled in and shut the door behind it. The place ain't that big. Might fit four cars total. I don't know how many guys that leaves inside, but I'd say easily ten, if not more. Did they spot you? Fontaine asked, looking over the things in the seat next to him and studying the strange set of keys. I don't care at this point, Springfield said in his familiar, rugged way. They're likely watching us from inside right now, for all I know. That's the only thing stopping me from getting out of the Jeep. I'm looking the place over quick. Then I'm going to back out of sight and approach on foot. Round past the trees and come up from the other side. It's the best way I can think to get close. Fontaine rolled his eyes and shook his head. Bad idea, Dusty. Wait till I get there. Did you talk to Ellis and Dwyer? You were supposed to do that, Springfield said. I did, Fontaine replied. Well, then tell them where we are and to get here quick, then. I'm about to back it up and go in on foot. I'm not waiting for shit. Don't be stupid, Dusty. If they see you, they're going to shoot. Wait till I get there. They got Wendy, Springfield grumbled. You don't know that, Fontaine said despite knowing it was quite likely. Wendy had a knack for getting into strange cars and going to strange places filled with strange men. None of what Springfield had told him was surprising, except for the place having a sign. I'll tell Ellis and Dwyer to head that way, Fontaine said. What's the name of the place? I'll have them try and get some information about it. What's it called? Fast stop, Springfield said, as if reading it right off the side of the building. Fontaine looked down at Scott's things. He picked up the plastic-wrapped book, reading the bag's logo with a raised eyebrow. Oh, fuck, he said, forgetting he had the radio to his mouth. What is it? Springfield asked. The guy I found must have come from there, Fontaine said. He's got something on him from a place named that. I got a book here, and a bag, and a set of keys. There was another long silence on the other end. Springfield? Fontaine asked. Sheriff? He shook the radio in his hand, testing its dial. Just get here, Springfield suddenly grunted. Bring all of it, and load your gun. Fontaine rolled his eyes, tossing the book back into the seat. He started his car and turned onto the road, heading for Dunner's old shop. He grabbed the radio dial, muttering a curse while changing the channel.